The New Testament reading is from 2 Corinthians 7. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong nor on account of the injured party, but rather that before God you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was, because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Good morning to the, the half of our church that doesn't have spring fever this morning. Uh, I, I get it. I sometimes want to play hooky, uh, especially on days like today, but you guys pay me to be here, so I, I guess I've got to show up. But it's a beautiful, wonderful day, and um, I'm glad to be here with you. I get to tell you and talk to you about Jesus and Pixar, so I'm excited about two of my favorite things. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll talk. Father God, would you guide us? Would you speak to us? Would you help us to listen? Wherever we're coming from this morning, help us to begin to believe that it's no accident that we're here, that you want us to be here, that you want to meet us, that you have something to say to us. Whether our story is full of joy and delight and we sense your presence and your nearness, or whether we feel that we can't find you and that we are stuck and whether it's a a pattern of sin or just a dark time in our life right now, I pray for each of us in those places that you would move in in a renewed way and give us a sense of your presence. And if we are here asking big questions about whether this could be true, whether Christianity actually has and gives us access to you, I pray that you would help us to follow the truth wherever it leads that we would listen and contemplate, and would you help us to see that you really do have answers for our search. And we pray that we would find them this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So just about any literature survey course or film study course will tell you that there's three conflicts, three kinds of conflicts that drive any good story. There's man versus man, and pardon the gender-specific language here, but man versus man, then there's man versus nature, and then the final one is man versus himself. Repentance is about the third one of those. It's us against ourselves, and the Bible is really about the third, us against ourselves, and Pixar movies generally are about the third as well. Think with me about the 
Toy Story trilogy. There are villains. Think about Zerg. Uh, think about the, uh, what's the Huggin' Bear at the, in the third one? Yeah, Lotso, that's his name. There are villains in these movies, but they don't play quite as prominent a role as in other movies. And really, the characters are in a battle not primarily with the bad guys, but they're in a battle with themselves. And Woody, the cowboy, is heroic not because he beats the bad guys necessarily, but because he actually does battle with and finally conquers his own demons. In the first film, He's on a path to repenting of his own biases and fears and his, uh, his tendency to try and control life that lead him to destroy others, diminish others, and himself. And though ostensibly he has this battle against Buzz Lightyear, who's not a bad guy, but in Woody's mind, he embodies this separation that he feels between himself and Andy. And he begins to doubt Andy's goodness and Andy's favor, and Buzz embodies that doubt. He doubts that Andy will keep him and will want to keep him. Incidentally, there are a number of writers and producers at Pixar who are Christians, and so it's probably not that much of a stretch to think of Andy as playing the role of God in these stories. And the loss of the sense of his goodness for the characters, for the toys, creates this internal tension. And that happens in real life. If God is not good, if He is not trustworthy, if He is ephemeral and we can't access Him, then we must live by a sort of a scarcity mentality. It leads us to compete with others and have this internal conflict. The central conflict to the film, the three films, is Woody's fear that he's lost this role as Andy's favorite toy, that Andy really does love him. And when he's imprisoned in the first movie in evil Sid's house, he has time to contemplate this broken relationship and this internal struggle. And contemplation is a key component to repentance. And the rest of the movie trilogy tells the story of Woody's repenting, if you will, of his inward-turned self. After constantly arguing with Buzz and pushing him out of a window at some point, At the end of the film, we hear him utter this self-reproach that it is he that should be strapped to this rocket that is about to explode. It's him that should pay the cost. And we know then that he is the hero of the film. He's able to see that he's flawed. He's able to see that he's bent in on himself, and the next two movies are the stories of his repentance, how he has chosen to live in a different way, because he's recognized who he is through the lens of who Andy is. Now, I want to talk just fairly narrowly about just the passage, a part of our passage that talks about this idea of repentance, because something has happened in the Corinthian church that has caused them, that Paul identifies, that they are now moving in a different direction, different relationship with Paul. They have repented of something that has gone astray and gone awry in their relationship with him. And it's regarding Paul's counsel and his presence in their life, but I think that we can draw out some larger spiritual principles from this. Spirituality is not just about finding better methods, finding a better technique. It's not about simply obtaining more knowledge. It's not even really about 
obeying more or praying more, but Paul point, points to repentance as a primary, primary, a fundamental ingredient for spirituality, for spiritual change. Repentance comes from the Greek word, which primarily has to do with, first of all, changing one's mind in such a way that leads to a different pattern of life. It's more than just saying, I'm sorry, but it's living in a way that's consonant with that admission of guilt. So in conflict with a spouse, we don't just say sorry, but we actually try to live in a different way that admits the reality of the behavior and the way that it has caused tension or disharmony in our relationship. Repentance is a source of great spiritual power, but first of all, we have to acknowledge that we need to repent. It doesn't work any other way. And in this way, repentance is understanding ourselves as people in need. And it's understanding that God is the one who is constantly moving into places of need and acting in response to that need. And this is why our success, our progress, our obedience can be a very dangerous place, spiritually speaking, while our failings Our shortcomings, our weaknesses, our sin can become, in a strange counterintuitive way, a great asset in our life, in our spiritual lives. The first, you see, leads to isolation and self-righteousness. Look how well I'm doing. Look how well I'm performing. The other can lead to this open conversation with ourselves, with others, as well as with God about our needs, about the fact that we are flawed. Katie and I met with uh, an accountant two weeks ago, and this was a meeting that probably should have taken place about 10 years ago, Um, but we were reluctant to do that. And I had done our taxes for years, uh, and every time I pressed send on the electronic tax thing, I started sweating. What if I did something wrong? Are federal agents going to show up in my front yard? And of course, the answer is no, because there's no financial incentive for them to do that. It's not worth their time to send agents to get the paltry amount that I may have underpaid. Uh, Well, we knew, Katie and I knew we needed the help, but we essentially refused the help because neither of us felt like our financial house was in order. And what we wanted to do is fix it first and then go to the accountant, right? Because we wanted to be able to present this nice, laid out, all these tax returns that were perfectly itemized and profit and loss from Katie's business, and it all was just, but then why do you need an accountant? Why would we set up the meeting, right? And we had to overcome this idea that we needed to be, that we should be uber competent in every area of life, including the financial And it felt like we were inviting someone into our home and letting them look under our beds and pull out our furniture and see what's behind because, you know, there's a mess there. Our financial house, it wasn't 100% in total chaos, but it was a bit of a mess. And at some point, we realized that we needed to give up this silly charade about our competence and give up some level of control and let someone see us in a not unpresentable way way. And the cool thing is the accountant that um, Preston recommended, actually, um, thanks to him, she was great, and she was very gentle. Uh, And she looked at 
our previous tax returns and said, they're okay, we can work with this. And so there, I patted myself on the back, you know, for doing such a good job. But our accountant wasn't there to judge us, but to help us. That was her job. And I'm sure she had seen so many other financial houses that were much more in disarray than ours. But it took us saying, our books aren't in order. Can you help us? It took us recognizing a need in our lives. Friends, what I want all of us to see is that repentance isn't just a discipline that we check off. It's not just a checkbox, but it is a bridge to Jesus. It's a bridge to grace. And this bridge is constructed by an honest assessment of how much we need grace, of how much we need God's mercy, being willing to say to Him, to ourselves first, to Him, and then to others, my life is not in order. And I put on a good face, but there are some things in my life that don't work very well and that I'm not all that proud of. I make choices in sort of a regular way that don't lead to happiness, that don't lead to joy, that don't lead to prosperity. I pursue things that leave me empty. I'm sorry, God. I would like to live differently, but I need your help, and I need you to enter into this place of need. If you're like me, your newsfeed has been full of people totally screwing up the last few weeks, particularly airlines. I'm sure you remember the United Cluster Cuss a few weekends ago, um, that, and thankfully for their CEO, this week Delta kicked a family off the plane, and so for some stupid reason, so now the, the news is diverted from United. I'm sure this sort of thing has happened forever, but now we all have this high-quality video phone in our pocket, and we have a way to distribute the video. Imagine someone, someone trying to document some corporate malfeasance in the 1990s with your camcorder. You have to get it out of the bag, you have to turn it on, and by then it's like over and done. And even if you do film it, what are you going to do with it? You can't distribute it in any way. So the, the corporate people were probably not quite as threatened. But the United CEO, he was named Communicator of the Year by this important travel magazine, and he's paid many millions of dollars uh, a year. And it took him three days to admit what everyone knew already, that United had messed up, and they wanted the CEO to take responsibility for it. And it took him three days and multiple statements just to say, we are sorry, and we want to do something differently in the future. But he didn't. Because owning our junk is hard, and especially when it's someone in our organization downstream, I can understand how it'd be difficult to say, I am responsible ultimately. But it's the only way that organizations change, and it's the only way that we'll change. And for us Christians in the room, Try as we might to hide our failures, let me remind you that when you join a church, and if you've joined in town, you've announced to the world already that you are sinful and you're flawed beyond self-repair. The church is the only organization whose one qualification is that you're not qualified. And every Sunday morning, we confess things like we did this morning, things like Almighty God, Father 
of Jesus, maker of all things, judge of all people. We acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness, which we from time to time most grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed against thy divine majesty. Or as one Catholic commentator says, to be connected with the church is to be associated with scoundrels, warmongers, fakes, child molesters, murderers, adulterers, and hypocrites of every description. It also, at the same time, identifies you with saints and the finest persons of heroic soul within every time, country, race, and gender. To be a member of the church is to carry the mantle of both the worst sin and the finest heroism of soul, because the church always looks exactly as it looked at the original crucifixion. God hung among thieves. At the end of the third Toy Story movie, it's the part that I just can't watch anymore. I've got a 17-year-old that's about to go to college next year, and it makes me cry like a baby. And my nose gets stopped up, and I don't like that. Andy's going away to college, and he's, uh, before he leaves, he's visiting the house of a family friend, and he gives his toys, his lifelong friends, to this young girl. I think her name's Molly. But he's giving her these toys that are on the other side of the life lessons that they've learned in the first couple of movies. Woody's repentance, you see, has run its course. He's a different kind of cowboy. And Andy gives this almost a benediction over Woody, over all the toys, but particularly we're talking about Woody. And he says he is the good cowboy. He's kind. He stands up for others. He's willing to lay down his life. And it's almost like Andy, if you will grant this way that he is the figure of God in this moment, is saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he hands him over to bring life and joy to this other young girl as he had done for Andy. Now, there's apparently plans for Toy Story 4, which leaves leaves room for the return of Andy, which is another way that he is a God figure, but we'll wait to see on that one. Repentance is, first of all, a gift rather than a demand. Repentance is, first of all, a gift rather than a demand because by it we get to get free. By it we get to be liberated from ourselves. It allows us to begin to end the raging battle inside of ourselves that Paul talked about in our confession passage. It allows us to begin letting down our guard that we expend so much energy daily constructing. It allows us to begin ending the pretense, getting in touch with the the real us that we've been hiding, and meeting God on His terms. You see, He is madly in love with the real you and the real me, not the pretense, not the performance, not the ways that we measure ourselves against other people. And when we begin to repent, when we begin to address who we actually are, we understand for the first time who God is really in love with, and we can begin to live out of that person. We begin to meet God on His terms. And what are His terms? His terms are that you lay down your burdens, 
His terms are that the truth about yourself will set you free. His terms are that in the gospel, He is not only calling on us to take ownership and responsibility for our sin, but He is doing so. Jesus says on the cross, and as He comes to our world, I will take ownership over your sin at the cost of my very own life. And that gives us the mechanism, the power, the leverage to say, okay, I can take ownership. I can take responsibility. I can be free. Most of us, unfortunately, need, like Woody did, a large precipitating event that overpowers us. We need a Buzz Lightyear in our lives that causes us to question who we are and who God is, where we are forced to admit that we've been trying to control life and we can't do it anymore. But what if instead of some grand precipitating event, what if instead of our worlds, worlds falling apart, what if we just came out and said, I'm not doing so well in these particular areas and I need help? And what if your community that you're a part of didn't respond with condemnation, but with congratulations? Finally, you see everything we've already seen in your life, right? Congratulations for telling the truth about yourself, for courageously embracing all of who we are and not just the parts that we want to take credit for. What if you said that you're tired of pretending of being something that you're actually not? What if you just said, I just want to be me? I want to be the person that God made me to be and the person that actually God is madly in love with. Repentance is not a a verbal litany of all of your bad behavior and saying, I will do better next time. Oftentimes we don't. And it's when we don't, even when we've committed and we realize that God still loves us that gives us a sense of gratitude that we can live out of, that creates this capacity for change. But instead of just constantly saying, I'm going to do better next time, which really reflects more upon our ego than it does the gospel, we can say, here are the ways, God, I have failed to live in your embrace. Here are the spaces in my life where I have a hard time remembering that I am completely forgiven by you. And it's killing me. And so I just want to ask you, do you have a a friend? Do you have a spouse? Do you have a pastor that you can be honest with without fear of recrimination, without fear of being sent down to the minor leagues? Because the people who repent of big sins, those are the heroes. Those are the star center fielders. Those are the people that can lead a church into really cool spaces. Are you part of a community group where over time, and this doesn't happen overnight, but over time you can begin to let your guard down. You can allow people in. You can allow people to see the real you, where you can confess your sins to one another. Police interrogators work off this premise that most people want to tell the truth about themselves. And if they can get them in a confession booth, they can eventually work them to not a manipulation, some of the time that happens, but 
a lot of people are just dying to tell the truth about what they did. They want to unburden themselves. And some of the most twisted, complicated criminals have this weird compulsion to be caught. Well, in town is a community seeking to embody the historic Christian gospel in the city of Portland. And there, while all of those words are important, one of the most critical is seeking. That we're saying none of us have it all together. We're all people in process. We're all works in progress. And that's okay. In fact, it's beyond okay. It's essential. And if you're a member of InTown, you see, you've already been caught. I've already been caught. You've made your confession. The rest is just details that you're filling out what that confession means. And so when we bring ourselves out into the open, it shouldn't really surprise any of us. Oh my gosh, can you believe what they did? No. Actually, yes, you can believe it because you're in the same place. And if that's not your pet problem, your pet sin, you have others, and I have others. Could we say today, I'm not where I want to be, but by God's grace, I'm not where I was. Help me repent. Help me turn from the ways that I've tried to control my life and let God step in and create the conditions for change through acknowledging your need of it. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would help us to um, begin to create the conditions for change in our lives where we can wisely look at our environment and our relationships and our own patterns of behavior and begin to identify the places that we um, consistently blow it and that we would respond not in shame and not in guilt, but that we would respond in hope and that we would repent and that we would turn mentally in our minds first, and then seek by your grace and by your empowerment to begin to walk in the manner of life that you want for us, not to arbitrarily fence in our behavior, but to give us the life that you know we need and that you want for us. And I pray that repentance would be a means to that individually and corporately. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.